Luke chapter 10, there's a story that any of us who've grown up in the church have probably heard a hundred times, but it's a story Jesus tells about a man who was traveling from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is actually situated on a hill, and he's traveling down from Jerusalem to a community called Jericho, and so he's going down this serpentine path, making his way down to the city when he is set upon by robbers and thieves who take everything he has, beat him up, and basically leave him on the side of the road uh, for dead. Jesus said, as a man was lying there, lifeless, there was a priest who came by. The priest was no doubt making his way back up to Jerusalem. And as he was going by, he saw this man on the side of the road, but basically just didn't have the time uh, to do anything. He was too busy, so he just kept on going along his way. Some time passed, and a Levite came by. A Levite was kind of a helper to a priest and saw the man and decided, again, he didn't want to be involved, and so he actually crossed over to the other side so he wouldn't have to get too close, and he went on his way. And finally, there comes a man who was from Samaria. He was a Samaritan, and the reason this is such a contrast is because Samaritans were hated by Jews, and in fact, they were considered the last person in the world that would actually stop to help, especially a Jew. And Jesus says that this man not only uh, bends down with concern and begins to kind of uh, minister to the wounds and the bleeding of this man on the side of the road, but he picks him up and he puts him on his donkey and travels some distance, we don't know how far, and he takes him to an inn and he tells the man, because it seems like this Samaritan was on a journey himself, probably on a business trip or something, so he tells the owner of the inn, he says, take care of him, here is some money, for what I assume will be some of the costs should more than cover your costs, but if, if the costs are greater than what I've given you, please take care of him until he's well and can go on his way. And when I travel back through on business again, I will give you whatever extra money you have spent. If you read the whole chapter of, of Luke chapter 10, you see that the story that Jesus tells of the Samaritan is actually in response to a religious man who asked Jesus, how can I know that I have eternal life? And Jesus answers and he says, well, you need to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, but you also need to love people. You need to have a, a, a concern for people. You need to care about people, just as you would care about yourself, just like your regular needs. You need to be mindful of those things for other people. And I think one of the reasons Jesus told that story was because he knows what we know, which is it's really easy to appear godly. It, not, that we meant, not that we mean to be hypocritical, but it is easier to kind of talk the talk. It's easier to kind of go through the motions of religious duty that keep us preoccupied. But when it really comes to caring for your neighbor, that's something you can't really fake. When you're actually doing something for somebody, you're caring, you're ministering. You, you can't really fake that. You're either doing it or you're not. So the man, in talking to Jesus, is looking for a loophole. He's looking for a way out. And so he asks Jesus, he says, Lord, how would you define neighbor? And so Jesus tells this story, and then he asks the man, now, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan, which one of these do you think was actually being the neighbor to the man who was attacked? And the answer, of course, was the person who showed kindness and concern, the person who took time out of their schedule, took time, took resource out of their pocket, and actually made a difference in that man's life. And Jesus said, that is right. Now go and do the same. And I think that the simple lesson of the story that Jesus is trying to communicate is, do you want to know if you know God, I mean, that you really know him? Do you want to know that you have eternal life? Well, the assurance of eternal life is whether or not there is evidence of the work of God in and through your life today. That's really what it's about. Do you want to know if you know God? Do you want to know if you're going to spend eternity with God? Well, just ask yourself, is there evidence that God's in your life? Is there evidence that he's actually working through your life, that he's doing something today that gives you that assurance that you, that you know him? Now, in keeping with our theme here this morning, which we're wrapping up today, this theme of margin, there's an added lesson, I believe, in this story. It is this. The Samaritan, this, and it's interesting, Jesus just tells the story of a Samaritan, but traditionally he's been come to be called the what? The what? The good Samaritan, right? Because he's kind of been defined by what he did. Not just what he believed, but what he did. He was not just a Samaritan, he was a good Samaritan, a good person. It's kind of funny that we should have the phrase a good Christian. <laughs> you know, that kind of should be redundant, shouldn't it? 
if you're a Christian, there should just be some things we automatically do. But yet, even within Christian circles, you can be a Christian, but you can also be a good Christian. Um, and that was kind of the Samaritan, this, this good Samaritan. But the added lesson, I think, for us here this morning is that the Samaritan, he was able to act on his care and concern because he actually had time to do it. He was able to meet some of the basic needs of this man who had been beaten, not only because he cared, but also because he had the money to do so. In other words, the Samaritan was able to minister because he had margin. You hear me this morning? He was able to do something for God because he had listened to God, you might say, in his daily activities and allowed there to be room, allowed there to be a buffer in every area of his life in case a need arose. I think all of us could probably raise our hand if I was to ask you if you've ever had a time of regret in your life when you came upon a need, but you couldn't meet it, and you wish you could have, and you realize that you had just blown your last whatever, 10 bucks, 50 bucks, oh, I could have done something here, but I, I blew that, or, or I, got, I committed myself to something, and so now I'm all wrapped up in that, and I, I'm not free to this better thing. We can, all, we can all tend to do that. Now, if you have your Bible with you this morning and you have it open, you'll notice that this story that we've read of the Good Samaritan actually is followed by the story of Mary and Martha. And I don't think that's a coincidence. And that's where we began our series a couple of weeks ago. When Jesus entered the house of Mary and Martha, you may recall, uh, Martha immediately got very, very busy just doing the stuff that you're expected to do in that culture. So she got busy making this big meal for everybody, for all of her guests. Mary, on the other hand, what does she do? She just simply sets her work aside, and she goes and she sits by Jesus. She just wants to be with Jesus. And it's kind of funny that Martha is so upset by Mary not helping, by not being busy like she is, that she actually tells Jesus to tell Mary to stop spending time with him. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but that, that's what the flustering does to you. And so Jesus says to her in verse 41, he says, Martha... You're fussing too much and getting worked up over nothing. There is only one thing worth being concerned about. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. In other words, Martha, while you're, doing, you're busying yourself with all these meal preparations, Mary has actually discovered the main course, and she's enjoying what really is important right now. Now, last week we talked about how do we get margin in our life? How do we get rid of a lot of that clutter that, that just robs us from that room that God wants to make in our life to actually be doing things or involved in things that really matter. In Ephesians chapter 5, that was our passage, and we saw there were three things that we have to pay attention to. Just going to give you a real quick review, and especially for the sake of those who weren't with us. But the first thing we need to pay attention to is the rhythm of life. God has placed a rhythm in all of his creation, and he's placed a rhythm in your life and mine as well. And one of the ways that the devil comes into our life to, to rob us of the fullness God wants to bring is he wants to get you off rhythm. He wants to get you off sync. He, he just kind of wants life to be helter-skelter. He wants to be hectic. He wants to be, even if it's not busy with work, it's just full of stuff. And so he wants to get us out of that rhythm, whereas we see in God's Word there's a natural order or rhythm where there's an expending of energy and then there's renewing. There's an expending and there's a renewing. And if we don't pay attention to that rhythm that God has for us, then we are always going to be uh, just distracted with stuff and not very productive, not very fulfilled. And one of the things that God does for all of us here this morning when it comes to rhythm or getting us into rhythm, and how many can raise their hand and say, yeah, I understand what you're saying, is God speaks to our spirit and he simply says, come away with me. Anybody ever hear that voice? Is it just me, right? Well, the Lord says, come away from that. Quiet your heart. Take some time. Turn that off. Close that book. Just, just spend some time. With, what is God saying? He's saying, I want to bring rhythm back. So we realized last week we need regular rituals of renewal if our lives are going to account for God, and not just doing stuff for God, if our relationships that are most important to us are going to be everything God intended, there has to be rhythm. The second thing we have to pay attention to is the seasons of life. We need to understand the particular season we are in right now because seasons change. And last week we talked about just how you know, we all want to live a balanced life. So we have this 
long line with all the things on it. We have the fulcrum in the middle, and we just think, okay, we got everything in order, and everything's going to be balanced as long as nobody moves, as long as nothing changes. And one of the mistakes we make in life is we keep the same expectations in every single season and don't recognize that seasons change. And in different seasons, this is simply what it means to be led by the Holy Spirit. In different seasons, the Holy Spirit will speak to you to shift your attention to different things at that time, to, to change your expectations, to change your priorities, to set some things aside for a season, to give attention to something else that is more important right now or that you need to invest in right now. One of the classic examples is for those of us who have preschoolers. You are in a season in your life if you have toddlers, if you have preschoolers. And you better put your attention where it matters most during that season because those relationships are paramount in our family life. When it comes to toddlers, for example, it seems like some, some people, for some people that this is a season that just lasts forever. But it doesn't last forever, trust me. The season goes by quickly, doesn't it, Mom and Dad? If your kids are growing up, it goes by in a flash. When you're in it, it just seems like it's busy, it's just going to go on forever. But it goes by so quickly, and the day is coming when your kids will grow up. And there won't be an opportunity to sit down with them and read a book. There won't be an opportunity to pour into their life as you could in that particular season. And so the Lord wants us to understand whatever season we are in, there is purpose in it. And if we will listen to him, the Holy Spirit will show us how to maximize that season, how to change our expectations, change our priorities just for a season until another season comes and it will shift again. We also saw it's important to pay attention finally to God's will for your life. And Paul says in Ephesians 5, you need to learn what the Lord wants you to do. And the way you do that is by making Jesus the center of your life. We use the analogy of the solar system that the sun has this incredible force and ability to keep all of the planets and all of the, all of the meteors and everything else just kind of going around in a beautiful order and orbit in our solar system. And in the same way, we need a force in our life, a force in our life that is strong enough, that is wise enough, that has the truth and the power, whatever it is we need at the center to keep everything else in its proper place. If we don't have Jesus Christ, if our relationship with him and cultivating, nourishing that relationship with him is not centered to our lives, we will always be at the mercy of whatever competes for our time and our resources. And hear me, friends, most importantly of all, we will never care about the things God cares about. If we don't have a relationship with him, if he's not the center, you see, to make Jesus the center doesn't mean you can't have fun. It means you can optimize your fun. It means you can optimize your fulfillment because things find their proper place and they have a sense of order in your life and you know what to give priority to. But here's the real issue. We need margin. We need to create this space, this room in our lives, not just so we can have more time to be more comfortable. We need to create the space in our life, the margin in our life, because it is in that place of margin that ministry flows. It's in that place of margin that actually the things that God cares about most begin to flourish in our life. It's not just the things that we can do for God. It's in that place of margin that we can actually enjoy God, that we can actually see our lives kind of flourish as we give ourselves to what's important and it bears the fruit to what really is important. In this story here, the Samaritan, we see that it's in the surplus of his time that ministry happened. It was in that surplus of his energy that ministry was able to happen. That surplus of his resources that ministry was able to happen. Just in the area of finances. You see, the problem in our culture today is we all live within our means. You're saying, no, a lot of us don't live within our means. We live beyond our means. But you know what? Even if you live within your means, that's not biblical. We are called as the people of God to live below our means. We are called in our finances to have a margin, to have a buffer, so that it's just there that if the Holy Spirit prompts us, he can say, hey, help this person. Or cut a check for this amount for somebody. I want to I bless somebody through you. Sure, Lord, it, it's sitting right there. I've created that margin so that you can use that area of my life. Rather than just living to or above, and whenever there's appeal for a need that truly is important, we can't do it. 
And we might feel bad about it, but we're also robbed of this incredible blessing we have of just being channels for blessing to flow through, to live open-handed before God. You see, any of us could sit here this morning when it comes to finances and say, well, Pastor, that's easy for you to say or so-and-so to say, whatever. If I made their money, if I had... No, no, it's never about the money you make. Friends, every single one of us, whether you're making $25,000 a year or $250,000 a year, we all fight the same world spirit that says you can spend it all. We all fight the same world spirit that says you can get credit. You can go beyond. You can pay so much a month. We all fight the same temptation to become handcuffed by all the stuff we can get and all the credit we can get. We all have to make the same decision wherever we may be to say, you know what? Whatever I make, I choose in obedience to God to live below that, that I might have an expendable income. And if you have a little bit, God will use that, and he'll find you faithful, and I trust God will increase. So in the story of the Samaritan, we see that ministry happened where there was where there was margin. Margin is about taking time to simply be obedient to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It's about freeing yourself of clutter so that you can hear the voice of God. It's about obeying the Holy Spirit when he prompts you to do something. It's it's making space. It's saying, okay, here's a need, but rather than sidestepping the need either because I don't have time or I don't really care or I don't have the resource or I don't have the faith, instead saying, okay, Lord, here's a need that I've come upon I believe you would use me to meet that need. What would you have me do? How can I be involved in that? It's creating space for God to actually work in your life. Uh, Last night we had a little, uh, just came to my mind, but we had a little, uh, uh, I guess, kind of kicking off Christmas party at the Luscious house. And uh, you're all invited, but I guess only 10 of us showed up. But was everybody invited, Greg? Maybe I shouldn't talk about the party. But we had this Christmas party. We had about 10 couples. We were doing kind of the Yankee swap and all that kind of stuff. So we were having a fun time. But poor Pastor Jenny was sitting there the whole time like this. And so we'd tell a joke, she'd kind of laugh and kind of look around at what happened was, uh, yesterday when she was picking up some kids, she fell down the front steps, fell backward and cracked her back on the step. Could barely move all up through her back, through the back of her neck, she was really stiff. Well, we were having a good time at the party. And who wants to spoil a good party with prayer? Right? Am I right? (laughs) I'm joking, okay, in case you're visiting. Vanessa says, honey, sometimes you've got to say you're joking because not everybody knows you. But the point is this. There's there's stuff we can do, and yet the Holy Spirit's very clear. Is there a need among you? Pray. Pray. And so we simply gathered around Pastor Jenny, prayed for her, within a minute was gone. Lord healed her back, took away the pain. This morning she came with a little bit of stiffness in the front of her neck, and I saw some folks praying for her to get rid of that as well this morning. But the point is, wherever we may be, there's opportunity to minister. But the question is, or for ministry to flow through us, but the question is, are we distracted? Do we have blinders on? Do we have our agenda for the day? Do we have our resources all used up? Whatever the case may be, so that when there's needs around us, we either sidestep it, go around, or we just kind of assume it's part of the decor, it's just part of life. And if the Lord says, if you'll create margin in your life, you will begin to have a heart for the things that God has a heart. But you have to have that margin. In his second letter to the church in Corinth, the apostle Paul writes, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. This is a personal thing between you and the Lord. And don't give reluctantly and don't give in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Now listen to verse 8. And God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need, get this, and plenty left over to share with others. Now this scripture is usually preached on about financial giving. I don't think that's really what it's about. It's about what we've been talking about. It's about investing your margin. It's about God giving every one of us here this morning sufficient time, sufficient energy, sufficient resources, but only you and I can decide if we are going to spend those things or if we're going to invest those things. There are things that God gives to us to meet our needs, and he he says that's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to meet your needs, and God is gracious. I mean, how many of us love to give? I shouldn't get you to raise your hands because you may not all agree, but how many of us like to give good things to our kids? Okay, a few of you. Okay, I didn't even see Vanessa's hand go up. So that's why, Alex, all the gifts under the tree have my name from Dad. They actually do. I wrapped them yesterday, so they're all from me. 
but we delight to give good things. So when God the Father provides for us, he also gives us a little extra because he just loves to give to us. But he also even gives us more than extra. Why? Paul says, so that you can be generous with the extra God gives to you. Do you see the connection here? God gives you margin. He builds margin into your life. That you may feel that your life is too, you know, too, uh, too many demands on you, but you need to pick through some of those things and let some things go as the Holy Spirit shows you. But God creates margin in our life in order that we might be able to invest in others and not just invest in others, but we might actually get out of the rut of just living for ourselves and the emptiness that brings and actually experience the joy of touching other lives around us. That's the greatest fulfillment, especially when you see God moving through you. Look at verse 10. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Isn't that incredible? But you see the purpose. God will bless you. God will increase. Why? That he might create a generosity in you. He will give you even more than you need. See, what does the world spirit say? Use everything you've got for yourself, and if you get more, use that for yourself too. If you get more, then you can get more for you. God says, no, 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 it's not what it's about. I promise to meet your need. I give you enough seed to make the bread that you need and a little bit extra as well. But I'm giving you even more than that because I want you to know the joy just as Jesus modeled for the joy that was set before him. Jesus endured the cross. I want you to know the joy of actually being a channel through whom God ministers, but you have to have those margins in your life. Some people have used this scripture to say that it's all about, you know, if you give to our ministry, you know, give to God, but it's always their ministry, that you'll be rich and comfortable. That's a complete distortion. That's not what it's about. God doesn't give you a thousand bucks because you wrote somebody on TV a hundred dollar check. He doesn't give you a ten thousand because you gave us a thousand. We're glad Todd. That's not what it's about. He wants us to understand he will give you enough to provide for your need, but he gives you an overflow so you'll have more to give away. Verse 10, he will increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. God wants you to have margin in your life so you can invest it in the things that he cares about. Friends, if we always just hoard for ourselves, if we always just keep for ourselves, our heart will never be where God's heart is. In fact, as we sit around the Lord's table, that's what Christmas is really all about. It's about margin. Let me read the scripture I was alluding to earlier from Philippians. Paul writes, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead of his own free will, he gave up all he had. And he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to death, his death on the cross. For this reason, God raised him to the highest place above and gave him the name that is greater than every other name. Jesus literally pushed everything aside because you needed salvation. You and I needed to be saved from an eternity in hell where we would be suffering the just punishment for our sin. That's where we were all doomed to go. That's what Christmas is about. And that's why we don't cancel church on Sunday for Christmas. Just throwing that in there. But that's what it's all about. That's what Jesus came. It was an invasion to save you and me, and it cost Jesus his life. Gave everything, pushed it all aside. Now here's the example, because Paul says this. You need to have the same attitude that Jesus had. You believe that? You need to think the way that he thinks. You need to walk in his steps, as Peter says. What did Jesus do? He made margin in his life. He freely gave up all the things he's entitled to. Do you hear me, friends? We live in a culture of entitlement. You will never be used by God if you believe that lie. If you invest your life in everything you think you're entitled to, I'm entitled to enjoy this leisure, this activity. I'm entitled to have that. I'm entitled to have what they have. Listen, friends, it's not a matter of sin, of right or wrong, whether you have it or not. It's a question of, Jesus, how does my life count for you? And for what you are calling me to, you may be saying, push that aside. Don't buy that. 
Don't give in to that leisure, that pastime. What I'm calling you to is this. Therefore, this is what I require of you. And people say, yeah, we're going to miss out on so much. Really? We have eternal life. We're going to heaven. No, I'm serious. I'm serious. We're going to heaven. Do you believe that? There's nothing you can give up that you're ever going to lose out on. None of us are going to get to heaven and go, wow, oh, but I really missed. Lord, you didn't tell me there was no golf here. You know, I, I gave it up for you, and there's no, you know, you see the foolishness of that? But we have to get that as part, in part of our heart because, you see, we have this mindset that we're just giving stuff up. And, and I, let me give you a scripture here. Paul says in Corinthians, it says, this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, some people would say, well, that was easy for Jesus to give up because he was God and he went back to heaven and he was on the throne. Exactly. That's the point. Jesus wants you and me to understand that the areas of our life where we are creating margin, that Holy Spirit ministry might flow, he says, you're not going to lose out on anything. And besides, you are going to heaven just like Jesus. And anything you've given up is going to be restored a hundred times, Jesus said, in this life. That's not bad. If you have your uh, card, we just take them out. You should have two. You want one at least uh, for investing your margins. Everybody have one? If you don't, you can raise your hand if we missed you somehow. Okay, we need a couple down here. If we could, it'd be great. Just keep your hand up. You should have two. Uh, you want one for sure, but you should have two. Just keep them up. These folks are really good at it. Okay, we need another $1,000 pledge. Anybody else? Thank you down here. Jonathan, bless you. Um, just keep your hand up, and they will get these to you. I'm just going to walk through this with you, because the reason we have been talking about margin is not just for a period of three weeks where we can go home and say, well, that was kind of an interesting series. We're talking about this subject because we want to come to a place as we move into the business of, of Christmas, as we move into a new year, we want to be ready to say between us and the Lord, Lord, where are you been calling me to make this room, to make these margins? That's why intentionally we started this, not January 1st, but we started this the end of November because we said, look, let's deal with some of these things now that we move through the Christmas season with purpose. We move into the new year with a plan that we know God has given us. So you should have uh, two copies of that card. And now we're going to get you to do something at the end of the service. We're going to get you to bring one card up before you leave. We're going to get you to keep the other one to take home for yourself. But please understand it's not because the information is important to us, but it's important to you. On the back of that card, if you flip it over, it says 2017 Investment Guide. Now, again, I've been talking about this early so that we can invest in some things as we move into the new year. And what you'll discover there is there's five areas that I want us to really give serious consideration about today. This is not something you're going to take home and pray over. It's something the Lord's going to direct you to do today. Isn't that wonderful? You're going to do it today. You're going to make the commitment today, okay? You don't even have to pray a whole lot about it because it's pretty clear, pretty obvious, but you can if you want. The Lord will just tell you the same thing. He'll just say, listen to Paul. Just, just do what Paul's saying. You know, there's a whole lot of volatility in investments today. And again, we, 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 just, we still think of heaven as just kind of this fictitious place. We really do. Because we really oftentimes don't live in the light of eternity and the reality of heaven. But Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark, he said, there's nothing God will ask you to give up, but that in this life, you will not receive a hundredfold back, and in the life to come, eternal life. Now, you can't get an investment like that. Do you realize a hundred times, that's a 10,000% increase in your investment, right? I don't know any bank that's offering that. 10,000%, if we really believe that, then there's some things we have to commit ourselves to. And I want to encourage us this morning, whether it's our time, our resources, whether it's the influence we have, whatever, to commit yourself to what God is doing. And let me suggest these five areas that we need to commit to. Number one, we need to commit to be involved in study, fellowship, and care in a life group. Please understand, glad tidings did not make up life groups. No church did. God made up life groups. Back in Acts chapter 2, the first day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls added to the kingdom, thousands more in the days that followed. What did they do? The Bible tells us they met in hundreds of homes. 
throughout the city and the region. Why? To have fellowship together, to eat, to pray together, to study the Word of God. They met in those life groups. And God knows it is only in a small group setting of some nature that you're going to move beyond being a churchgoer and actually begin to be stretched and grow in some ways that you never thought possible before as you get together with other believers. You see, life groups is not just a social group. That's not what it's about. A life group, and if you have a brochure, you'll see there's a number of different kind of life groups. There are even some that aren't there that you might think about as well. But it, first of all, it's a wonderful opportunity to actually get to know some brothers and sisters in the Lord who right now, if you're honest, they're just faces. How many be honest enough to raise their hand and say, you know what, I don't know very many people to look around. Go ahead. Yeah, you're lying. Because I know you don't. I know you can recognize the back of their head. If you saw them in a lineup, turned around, you'd say, I know them. They sit in front of me in church. But you probably don't know them. You probably don't know their name. But here's the important thing. It's in a life group. It's in a small group setting that you actually get to know people. You actually get to know their heart. You get to know, learn some real neat things about them, their unique insights and their experiences. There are so many people, and these faces start coming to my, my mind right now. There are people in this church that I've really come to appreciate because other than just seeing them on a Sunday morning or maybe bumping into them in the foyer, I've been in a setting, whether it's in my house church, whether it's in a men's small group uh, event, a men's ministry event, whatever, some kind of context where it breaks it down, and, and I actually get to hear them talk. I, I get to hear about their faith. I get to hear about some of their journeys, some of their struggles, and I begin to go, man, I didn't even know you were spiritual. I didn't even know you were saved. And I just, you know what I'm talking about? And you really get, and they really had the same reaction, maybe, oh, pastor, get to know you. I realize you're a Christian. But you know what I'm talking about? In some kind of setting, a smaller setting, you get to know somebody, and you, you probably had a whole different picture of them, a whole different image. And you get to know them, and really, uh, they really surprise you from some of the things that they're, that they're sharing. Now, you're saying, I don't like small groups. You know, I don't want to have to pray out loud, talk out loud. You know, don't worry about that. If you're in a small group setting, nobody's going to force you to do anything. You can sit there and just kind of take it back in. But I promise you, if you will get involved in some way in a smaller group setting, it can be in a runner's club, it can be in a house church, it can be any of those things. We get Alpha coming up, for example, in the new year. A wonderful opportunity for you to bring somebody with you to, to, to introduce the gospel to. You can either lead in it, you can participate. With, they're, they're all there, a number of different things that you can do. I promise you, if you begin to get involved in a smaller group setting, you will feel much more a part of the church and you'll grow in ways that you never, that you never imagined. In fact, you may be thinking this morning, well, Pastor, you know, that's a great idea, but I don't really need it. I mean, I've got Christian friends around me. I've got a Christian family around me. I've got all the support I need. Guess what? It's not about you. Is that okay? It's wonderful if you've got the support. Well, if you do, now it's your time to turn around and actually invest in somebody else. Let them be encouraged by your story. So just take that brochure. If you don't have one, there's more copies in the foyer. It just looks like this. It says, life groups, life's a journey, don't walk alone. There's 10 different things that are in that you can, be, you can tap into. Or you know what? There may be something you're interested in, and it's not in the brochure. Start something new. Give us a show. Say, I've got an interest in this. Maybe other people do. Maybe you're a parent of toddlers, like we said earlier. And say, you know what? I'd love to have some kind of small group for that. Just kind of walking through that season to get other people. Or maybe you're an empty nester. Hey, you know, I want this season to count for my life. I don't want to just kind of retire and work in the garden all day. You know, I want to do some meaningful things for God. So there's other people in that same group. Maybe we can spur each other on. Or maybe you love pets. You know, you love dogs. You know, so we can walk our dogs together. As we're walking together, we can, you know, we can, we can talk about the Lord. If you've got cats, you know, you can drag your cats along together if you want and, and talk about, you know, spiritual things, whatever. But just some kind of... Did I say something wrong? <laughs> Just some kind of setting where you're getting to know somebody. You're breaking the ice. You're breaking down barriers, and you really will appreciate some of the wonderful brothers and sisters that are sitting all around you that can pour into your life, and you can pour into theirs. So that's one way. Another one is to commit to. So will you do that right now? And you can just do this while I'm talking. I know you're all looking at your Bible apps right now, but... Um, you can just do that. You can just say, you know what? Here's the small group I am in. If you're in one right now, that's great. If you're, uh, if you're not, you can look at one. 
And, and by the way, don't get involved in a whole lot of them. If you're involved in a small group, one is enough. You know, two at the most. But you don't need to be involved in a whole bunch. Just check I commit and jot down what that is, okay? Life is a journey. Don't walk alone. Number two, say I commit to establish a regular time of prayer and Bible study. Let this be your slogan for the coming year. Shoot for seven, hit five. Okay? Shoot for seven, hit five. Just plan to get in the Word. Plan to take 15 minutes, whether it's reading a couple of verses. It usually takes 10, 12 minutes to get through an entire chapter anyway. Spend some time. Decide what time it's going to be. Read the Word of God, a chapter to begin with. Pray about it. Take a notepad. We've been talking about this this last year. Make a list of things that come up in the Scripture that you want to address in your life. Jot down some insights that you want to nourish in your life. If you want to read through the Bible with the congregation, you can go to our website, gtmoncton.com. You'll scroll about halfway down the info hub. It has our, our, our Bible chapters for the day. You can read that. If you, if you go into our, uh, I think it's info, uh, yeah, in, in the info hub, uh, we have the SOAP readings, which is the scripture, but it also breaks down uh, how you can do the SOAP uh, uh, approach to your journaling, your Bible study, which is scripture, observation, application, and prayer. That's all written out for you on the website if you want to look at that. But here's the point. If you don't have a specific time or a general timeline for each day to be alone with God, to create that margin in his word, to let him speak to you, if you don't have a set time, it's probably not going to happen. Weeks are going to blow by, months are going to blow by, it's not going to happen. So you need to determine a time, write it down that you're going to commit to spend with God. So you get number two there, just jot it down. It may not be a specific hour, but in the morning, in the evening, lunch break, whatever. Will you write that down? Go ahead. Take a moment. Write it down. If you don't have a pen, ask somebody to borrow it, okay? There should be Christians around here. They'll lend you your pen. Write it down and then check off, I commit. Number three, I commit to use my ability to serve God in a ministry. If you have a ministry, write it down, okay? Write it down. Again, you don't need to be involved in two or three, four different ministries. Two at the most, one is good. But by ministry, we're talking about some place in the body of Christ where you're kind of digging down deep in your walk with God to actually have something to minister, to touch, and influence lives around you. Now, if you don't have a ministry, you can go to the Information Center, get some information. Again, you can go to our website, and on the top, you can just hit the tab Connect. Under the menu will come six primary ministries, and under all those ministries are diverse ministries, areas you can get involved in. You can look those over. You can decide, hey, I really want to try this ministry. You can talk to the department head. You can call the office. You can go to the Welcome Center. But here's the key. Just try it. Just try the ministry. It could be something within the church. It could be something outside of the church. We have the Benoits and other people that have ministries going on outside as well. You can try that. And if you don't like it, you can step down. You can try something else, okay? You've got my permission. For example, you might say, well, you know what? I kind of like the people that I see when I come through the doors, the ushers. I'm going to try ushering. So you get involved in ushering. You realize two weeks in, you don't like people. That's okay. They don't either. No, I'm just kidding. But if you don't like people, you know what you can do? In fact, please do. Just step down. Just say, you know, I tried this. It didn't work for me. Okay? Or maybe your kids are all growing up and gone. You think, you know what? I, just, I, I haven't been around kids for a long time. I'm going to volunteer in the nursery. Okay? One week in, you come to your senses. You know, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, you know, whatever it might be, don't feel you're locked in. But I want to encourage you. Be involved in a ministry. Have something in your life where you're creating margin for the Holy Spirit to flow through you, to touch a life, to invest your life in somebody in some way. So you can jot that down again. Just write down what the ministry is, even if it's just to say, I'm going to try it out. Just do it right now. Just jot down a ministry and even put a question mark, meaning I'm willing to look into it. Okay? Go ahead. Just don't say preaching. Okay, so jot something down. The key is there is a ministry that you were made for. Number four, I commit to pray, witness, and invite others to hear the gospel. That's something you can fill out right now. In fact, you would have had the cards these last few weeks about people that you want to pray for coming up to our Christmas presentation and, and through the rest of the year. But here's the key. What you're saying is, I'm going to commit to at least pray for these names. So just think of it right now. Go ahead, jot down three. I, I see some of you aren't writing. Okay? Elbow the person beside you. Get writing. 
Okay? Jot down three names. These are people that have been in my heart. These are people I'm going to pray for. Because you know what happens when you pray for people? You actually begin to get a heart for them. And by the way, when you take one of these home, put it someplace that you're going to see it. Don't put it in your purse. You know, don't put it in your Bible if you don't read your Bible. Put it somewhere, uh, you know, in the mirror, the makeup, whatever it's going to be, that you're going to see it every day. Because if God can keep these names in front of you, if you will pray for these people, you know what you'll begin to see? You will begin to see the opportunities God brings your way for an act of kindness, for a word, for sharing the gospel, inviting to a church function, whatever it may be. But what we're talking about here this morning, saints, is being intentional. Really understand what it means to be people of the kingdom. Really understand to me what Christmas is all about, that salvation has come, that there are people who don't know Christ, and that's what our mission is. It's not a sales pitch, amen? We are to snatch from the fire, as it were, those who don't know Christ, because that's, that's where we're heading with, O Christ. And so the Lord will give you some names. Jot down three names. And the final one that's dear to my heart, we're going to take a different Sunday to do this, but I just thought we'll blend it in with this morning. And that is number five, I commit to financially support the Alashab refugee family. A few months ago, for those who weren't here, we introduced a Christian refugee family from Syria that we have sponsored to bring to Canada, to bring to Moncton, that we are committing to to a period of one year. The Alashab family, there's five of them who live right now in Damascus. That's where they fled. They have an older son who is presently in Germany. That's where he fled. And once they get here over the course of the year, they hope to apply to bring him as well. But we are committing to this family who actually would rather live in Syria. Okay? They don't want to be out of their country. They live in the beautiful ancient city of Damascus. Remember Damascus? Paul was on his way to Damascus, right, when he met the Lord. That's how old this city is. We have one picture here of just a simple roadway in the city of Damascus, the beautiful modern city. This is the same road after the war. This is where the Alashabs live, this kind of community. We have another picture of a typical middle-class neighborhood. We have an aerial picture of the city of Damascus after the war. This is what they fled from. Okay, this is where this family lived. Now, what I'm asking us this morning is to say, can we not commit as a congregation to bring a Christian family from that land, from where they are as refugees right now, to Canada to have a new life? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, isn't it an exciting thing to... Is that not exciting? I mean, that pumps me up. In fact, our commitment to them, to the, to the government program, is $35,000. 10000 of that is for, is for accommodations. That's why we purchased the house out off our front lawn to the right, the White House. We purchased that last year. We're going to be using that for the refugee family, okay, and for other families, Lord willing, in, in, the, in the years to come, the days to come. But uh, we still need to raise $25,000. Now, Christmas is coming up. Wouldn't it be wonderful as a family, even now as a couple, even as kids, to sit down and say, you know what, rather than spending hundreds of dollars, we're still going to buy gifts for the kids and maybe a gift for each other, but can we take $100 and say over the next three months, we are going to give $100 toward this Christian family to bring them to Canada to start a new life. Could we do that? We have anywhere from 250 to 300 giving units, you might say, individuals who give on a regular basis to Glad Tidings. It could be $5 a month, it could be $500. If you get an envelope, you're one of those 250 to 300 people. And that's why we just simply broke it down and said, if every single one of us who have an envelope could at least say, I'm going to commit to $100 over these next few months, because they're scheduled to land. I mean, things can change as far as the time frame, but they're scheduled to land in February. Isn't that wonderful, coming from Damascus or the Middle East, land in Moncton? You know, we may have to buy a few snow boots and jackets and stuff like that, but uh, what a wonderful opportunity we have to say in the next three or four months, I'm going to commit to giving $100 or maybe $200. If you have more, you can give more. If you have less, you can give less. If you don't have anything at all, you know what you could say? You could say, well, I'm going to group together. we got some students over here, okay, or, or whatever your situation may be. I'm going to partner with one or two other people, and we're going to give $100 together or a couple hundred dollars together. I want you right now, would you just take a moment, and would you write down, I'm going to commit to this amount. Go ahead. Everybody should be writing. Everybody, I know you're not used to actually having to apply the sermon. I know. 
It's a stretch. It's a weird thing. We're going to try that this morning, okay? I'm going to commit. Some of us can give 200. Some of us can give 500. There's no pressure. We don't give that way. What Paul says very simply is this. God has enriched us so that we can be generous. I think a lot of us are pretty enriched in this church family this morning. In fact, as I've often said, many of us live like kings compared to much of the world population today. So why not just take a moment and say, I commit, and here's the amount. Whatever it is that you feel God is laying upon your heart, there's no pressure. As Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. But to me, it's going to be, we've been talking with the family. And you know what the real cool thing is? In talking with the family a few times, we've done Skype kind of thing, they're not, they're, they're excited about coming to Canada in the sense they have no home to go to, so they're glad. But what kind of caught my attention is they're excited to meet you. They're excited to meet Christians in Canada. They're excited to be part of this family. Isn't that neat? That's what really excites them. Well, we get to come to Canada, a Christian country. We get to fellowship with believers, you know, having fled from a country that was in war, that people were being killed by ISIS for their faith. We get to come where people can worship freely. We don't appreciate this. But they're just saying, we can't wait to come and worship with you. I said, well, it's really no big deal, but, you know, no. I said, you will be excited. So just give proportionately. I really believe we can make that full commitment today. Paul said, when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. And they're very thankful for how we've been involved in their lives so far. I'm going to ask Pastor Kristen to come. And we're just going to close at this point. But friends, when we make margin in our lives, we are able to invest in what really matters most. And I want to encourage you this morning, what we're going to do is it's pretty simple. We're not going to have an official dismissal. But Pastor Chris is going to come and just lead in some worship. And we have a cross that we're going to just put here in front of the communion table. And then here on the, on the front pew, Pastor Chris, we have them as well. We have some, some stick pins. And there's no time frame on this. You can take whatever time you like. If you need to slip out, you can slip out as well. What I'm going to ask you to do is to take your card, and after you have filled it in, and you've had just some time in quiet with the Lord and whatever the Lord's been leading you to do in each of these categories, I'm going to ask you that you can take that same information, and you can put it on the second card to take home with you, or if you remember it all, you can just take the card home and fill it in then. But I'm going to ask you this morning to take this card when you're ready to go, just simply to walk up here, take a stick pen, and to stick it onto the cross. This is not a gimmick, friends. I believe with all my heart, before we go into the business of Christmas, before we launch into a brand new year and trying to think what are my resolutions going to be, if we can take this season right now and say, Lord, what are you speaking to me about? What have you been talking about these last few weeks? Where are the margins that you want to make in my life to make room for you, to make room for ministry? If we can get those things settled, we can move through the weeks and the months and the year ahead of us with a real sense of intention. We're going to talk about it more in the new year, but I believe one of the things that God wants to do in our midst, he wants to free us from our habits and bring us into intentional living. Intentional living. Not just habitual stuff where life just goes by. So does that make sense this morning? Am I being clear? No ambiguity? Okay. As we worship the Lord, just take a few moments, fill in the back of the card, check I commit. If you want to look, get involved in something, it doesn't mean you're committed to the ministry. You can say, well, I'm interested in looking into this ministry. I want to check it out. May, may, may try it out. But I want to be a ministering person. Whatever it is in those five categories. And then I want you to print and sign your name. Print and sign your name. We need to have accountability. And just come and put that on the cross. Why? Why the cross? What have we been talking about? The cross represents the margin that Jesus made in his own life. All that he gave up in order that ministry could flow through him and bring salvation to you and me. And Paul says, let the same mind that was in Jesus be in you. If you're a Christ follower, you need to think the same way. Where do you want to get the clutter out of your life? Where do you want your lives to be? I'm looking down at, you know, at the Jowdries here at Main Steve. You know, not to put them on the spot, but they could be retired and planting their gardens. You know, They're going to disaster after disaster. Bring a relief through Samaritan first. Seeing people come to Christ who don't know the Lord. Just seeing God used in powerful ways. Why? Because in this season, they understand what season they're in. They want the season to count. And the Holy Spirit says, okay, 
I've set you up your whole life to be able to retire early because I've got a new season for you. And I bet they'd be the first ones to say, this season has borne more fruit than every season in the past. Everything their job has done, their careers, all that kind of stuff, all the stuff they've bought and enjoyed, this is a season of incredible wealth and fulfillment. And so the Lord wants us to recognize our season. So would you just kind of bow your heart before the Lord, make sure you're on the same page he is, and just say, Holy Spirit, whatever it is, the clutter, I release it, I let it go. Whatever it is, the habits, whatever, I want to be margin in my life of what really matters. I want to have the same mind you do. I want ministry to flow from that room that I make for you in my life. So God bless you. Let me just pray for you before we slip out. And again, you feel free to come and go when you're ready. But just stick that on the cross and you're dismissed. Free to go. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your precious people here in this church. I thank you, Lord, we get to be part of this beautiful Christian family. And I thank you, Lord, that every person is here today, not just because it's Sunday. I know they're here because, like me, they just want their lives to count for you. Lord, we all want to honor you. We all want our lives to make a difference. We all want every season of our life, whether retirement or with toddlers or anything in between, we want every season to count for you. So, Lord, just show us now by your Spirit where things are being wasted, where there's distraction, where things are being consumed, where things that are unworthy we're giving our attention to. Lord, show us in these areas how to make that room for you that, Lord, we can invest in that margin you're creating, that our lives really can count, and we can know a joy beyond anything that this world promises us through all the distractions and all the pastimes. And so, Holy Spirit, we say come. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come. Have your way in our hearts, I pray. Let things be done right now that will make a difference for eternity. Let decisions be made. Let commitments be made right now, Father, in Jesus' name. We know what you're saying to us. Let us step out in faith and say, yes, Lord, no more discussion. I commit. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And we believe in you to bring much fruit and many testimonies in the days ahead. We thank you.